0: This is Rev. Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Camp Brown. and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. We come this morning to the last in a series of seven messages on the general subject the seven deadly sins. Once again, some may be thinking, preacher, you must be completely out of your mind if you think you need to preach a sermon on lust to a group of mainly senior citizens. Well, I I may be out of my mind, but not for that reason. I want to ask that you pray with me for these next few minutes, that as I try to bring God's message we may all know that Christ receiveth sinful men and yet that I may be able to make the message clear and plain. In the first sermon of this series on the seven deadly sins, I define the sin of lust as self-love which seeks to please itself by sensual satisfaction. It's difficult to say which of these seven sins is the worst of all, but certainly the sin of lust must be far down the ladder toward the gutter of being the worst. Lust is rooted in sexuality, and we know that sex is something which God made and placed at our disposal to be used in God's way at God's time and in God's directed manner. God ordained that man and woman love each other and that there be togetherness union and that they may share in bringing life into being on the basis of true love not just sensual satisfaction but in sharp contrast to this lust comes and in it we see a perversion of love which brings not togetherness a holy union but rather something which ultimately isolates individuals. This is always the end result of lust, estrangement, isolation, guilt feelings, hardships. Although lust is built on the pretense of love, it is far from love, real love. What lust does to a person is like the person who says, he loves oranges. If an orange could answer back, it would say, What do you mean you love me? All you want to do is to squeeze me and take the best out of me and then throw me away. This is what lust will eventually do to a person, man or woman. James, over toward the end of the New Testament, says, When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. James 1.15. In our present corrupt society, you don't have to go far to hear someone express the idea that nothing now is absolute. Nothing's either right or wrong. It's all in the way you look at it. That's what makes it right or wrong, some say. All these agents of the devil who talk like that, who think they have the right to make a new moral code, will tell you that if something has meaning, if it feels good, then it's all right. National magazines have published articles on the subject of sexual standards in which some authors have ridiculed Christian standards of sexual behavior. Many people now say voluntary sex acts between two informed adults are never immoral. Being in love justifies premarital sex and even extramarital sex. Nothing is really wrong as long as nobody gets hurt. That's what we hear all the time these days. Well, let me tell you something. There are those who are content to be spiritually blindfolded and led down the rosy path straight to hell, but it is not because they were ignorant of the truth. God's Word, the Bible, speaks as plainly as anything when it says, unjust people who don't care about God will not be joining in His kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it, don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. In this passage I've just quoted, the Apostle Paul is really calling a spade a spade. But if you think he's just spouting fire and brimstone, listen to what he continues to say in the same context a number of you know from experience what I'm talking about. For not so long ago, you were on that list. But since then, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus, our Master, our Messiah, and by our God present in us, the Spirit. These references are all from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. We all know that we're now living in a new era, a post- Christian time, one which is going to demand all the Christian standards we've got and then more. When so many institutions of higher learning create the open invitation for lust and immorality to operate freely, then this opens a Pandora's box of evil, which is bound to come. And we're seeing some of that these days. All this is just about as foolish as saying that a girl is free to drink all the liquor she wants to drink just as long as she acts like a lady. As, as we speak of the sin of lust, it's easy for us to focus our attention upon the younger set, looking only at college rules, college morality, and holiday excursions to the beach resorts, such as the Myrtle Beach area, Grand Strand, where young people fill up their time with the three S's, suds, or beer, surf, and sex. But let, let's look more closely at our own situation. Are those beyond teen years, lily white, concerning this sin of lust? I think not. You know not. For even in every nice community, it is only the extremely naive who are unaware that there is moral laxity, not only before marriage, but also after the wedding vows have been spoken. And to show just how far we've gone away from God's plan, this practice of living together has become now socially acceptable. Whether this sin of adultery and lust is committed by the gutter bums or by the upper crust of society, God is still going to judge and punish. Jesus drove even to the root of the problem by condemning not only the lustful act, but also the lustful look. Yes, there are still some absolutes left, no matter what some people or our society may be saying. The Ten Commandments have not been revoked, not according to my knowledge. And this includes the Seventh Commandment, which says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. This means not only the overt act, but also with the desires of the heart. This is binding equally upon both men and women, boy and girl. Oh, how tragic it is to hear young people tell of their life's sordid story, who tell how they got started out just to have a good time, but they ended up quite the opposite. But this is exactly the way lust operates. People start out by having sin in their life. You have sin, but it always ends up that sin has you. John tells us that whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. That's John eight thirty four. A newspaper story about a famous American actress who had been married multiple times said she looked haggard, tired, worn. The article went on to say that the radiant glow had gone from her face and she seemed bored and unhappy with life. Oh, how we all need to be careful not to let ourselves be swept up in this sin. Don't sell your soul for a fleeting moment of temporary pleasure. You are worth infinitely more than this. Remember, changing the label on the sin, the sin of lust, does not change the seriousness of that sin one iota. You can go to a closet, take down a jar of deadly poison, scrape off the skull and crossbones label, and put on a new label which says peppermint. But does this make the contents of the jar any less deadly? You can go to the zoo and take down the sign which is on the rattlesnake's cage and put up another sign which says earthworms. But this will not change the fact of what's inside changing the label on something that's evil does not make it less evil. In fact, the milder the label, the more dangerous the evil. The book of Proverbs says, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs fourteen twelve. You cannot always trust what your heart tells you to do. Jeremiah reminds us, Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Matthew, in Matthew fifteen nineteen, says, "For out of the heart proceeded evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies." You may be thinking now, well, preacher, you've presented the picture in such a way that you seem to have said the sin of lust is deadly, but you can't even trust your heart to let you know when you're right. Is that right? My answer to your question? Absolutely. Then you may ask, well, then what shall we do? It would take a miracle for me to be able to find out how to live the right kind of life. And there you'd have your own answer. The miracle the secret. It does take a miracle, the miracle of the new birth, which must take place within one's own life. Paul said it so plainly in his letter to the Ephesians. And this is Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24 from the translation called The Message. Here's what Paul had to say. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there's going, that that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you you learned Christ. My assumption is that you've paid carefully, careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth, precisely as we have it in Jesus. And since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it, and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Paul hit the nail on the head, didn't he? So where does that leave us here today? You may be someone who has committed this scarlet sin at some time in your past life the sin of lust. But for the scarlet sin, there is crimson forgiveness. In a few minutes, we're going to sing a song. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Will you pray with me? Oh God, you know the heart of every person who's been listening to my voice these past few minutes. And my purpose as a preacher is not to condemn, but to show the rich forgiveness that you offer, oh God. Thank you that you gave us Jesus, your son, to cleanse us from all our sins, including the sin of lust. Help us, we pray, Lord, even right now to confess, to be willing to forsake, and to say, Lord, I give you my life. Cleanse me. Use me in your own way. This, our prayer, Lord, we offer in the name and in the spirit of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.